0: You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A.
1: Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. It's been a while since we talked about good old L.A. Kings hockey, so the insider himself, John Rosen, is here to give us an update on a lot of the moving parts in the franchise. We'll have some more episodes as the playoffs roll on, and then obviously a ton of draft coverage. We're not going anywhere. But for now, here's Johnny. Joining me now, LA Kings insider John Rosen. How are you doing today, John?
0: Doing good today, Jesse. Thank you so much. Um, you know, Good this week. Uh, it was tough last week, I know, for a lot of people across uh, the National Hockey League because of the loss of uh, of Jason Botchford, who was a, a Vancouver Canucks writer for The Athletic and and before that for the Vancouver Province. Um, you know, apart from being a, you know, a big fish head, which he was, and that was often kind of the focus of our conversations and, uh, and that whole kind of world and realm. um, He was a phenomenally good writer. Um, And it's a very, very interesting market, the Vancouver market. And it's a well read city, a smart city, a city where they have had a lot of reason to be frustrated with their hockey team over the past decade. Um, And there's a certain kind of, Um, spirit of the Canucks fan base um, that is is just so was so perfect that Jason Botchford just hit that vein. And there are a lot of really excellent writers and commentators um, that that cover the Canucks. But what he did with the Athletes and and obviously before that, the Pravis, um, I thought it was just such intelligent sports blogging often and also very good, more long form feature writing. For a very well-read audience, and this whole story is just so awful and difficult to wrap your head around, um, because I mean you you get this far and you haven't even talked about the fact that he had three kids and and there's a wife and all of a sudden their father's gone. So um, you know on on uh, on behalf of the Kings, everybody that 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 knew him and traveled and, and goes to Vancouver, this is this is something that's tough to to shake. And 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 all our love to the Botchford family and and his colleagues and friends in Vancouver.
1: We've referenced this kind of person before on the podcast where people line up to offer uh, praise to, you know, rant. It's very rare that you get somebody where where everybody can't wait to tell a great story about that person. And I never met him and I'm sad for that fact. But but based on the outpouring of love I saw for him. I, I wish I had, right? I mean, everybody yeah. seemed to think that this was a truly great guy. So
0: you know, he was, you know, when over the course of a year in sports writing, there it's 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 easy to get into the dog days of the season, um, and, and just be challenged by, especially you in know, year's where the team is doing poorly. And Canucks writers have had some lean years that have not been the greatest. But apart from that, um, he was never willing to just kind of take that not to say an easy route, but, but every day he saw so much, whether it was in practice, whether it was in a game, um, that's why it's always so interesting to read, um, what the Vancouver writers see kind of the, the sarcasm and cynicism that you see in, in some of the, maybe more bloggers and other writers that are up there. And I thought his writing was just kind of a really good representation of modern sports writing. And on top of that, he was a great guy and had been to dozens of fish concerts, um, which, uh, you know, which we bonded over too. So, um, fun guy, you know, we, we all love going up there and, and he was somebody that was always fun that when you saw him in the, uh, in the media room downstairs, uh, in Vancouver was always, you know, the person you'd walk up to first and whether you're talking media, whether you're talking f- music or, or hockey, just, just an awesome person. And, and this whole story is so sad.
1: Yeah. Sad piece of perspective to, uh, start the podcast, a reminder that it's all just a game and uh, hug your loved ones, but we're going to move on to the playoffs. Um, thoughts now that the second round is complete, any storylines stand out to you? Any big moments or players, um, establishing themselves apart from the pack? You know, I was just
0: really impressed by the Colorado avalanche. Uh, I didn't see the same kind of just attack and push and dominance that against San Jose, obviously, cause they lost a series, but uh, that, I, that you saw against Calgary. Um, but you could see that they were playing some of their best hockey late, uh, have bought in under Jared Bednar. Um, that they, their points and their kind of place in standings was depressed because they lost so many games disproportionately, uh, a number of games in overtime. So I, I I thought that they showed well. They relied on their role players, but it was also still the um, you know, the Ronton and and McKinnon show, and they were just phenomenally good. Um, and also with that defense, um, young defense in the modern game, they they look good. So I mean, that's what stood out. You have a a San Jose Sharks team that is an evolved group that, I mean, I'm looking at my phone and I'm seeing the texts that I was sending to people when they were down three nothing to Vegas uh, in game seven. Um, It looks like the Eric Carlson thing (laughs) didn't work out. I literally sent that into a text thread (laughs) uh, texting Alex Faust. Well, this was anticlimactic. Um, And then literally, you know, asking for all those texts back 15 minutes later, um, I don't want to get back and rehash that again, too. We've we've done that, so yeah, I, but that's out west.
1: I yeah, I'm I'm growing to be frightened of the San Jose Sharks just because to have such a unbelievable first round win in that game seven, and then you could argue whether or not it was as big a gift, but the callback goal last night in game seven. The Joe Thornton story, the defense. I mean, Martin Jones has turned his game around. I just feel like the hockey gods are lining up, you know, the storylines for the San Jose Sharks. Well, the hockey
0: gods have taken it away at, at certain times. Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> no, Rangers. they I mean, have. <laughs> about that, I mean, there aren't these complex feelings. And I, I'm right there with you, Jesse, because. You know, on one hand, they're down three nothing in that call, which was a totally BS call, yep. a type of a play that happens a dozen times a game of a guy just going through a guy and jostling mm-hmm. after the face off. There's not even a penalty there. Um, but then, on the other hand, if you win a seven game series, if you win two rounds in the playoffs, if you win the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're the, you deserve to win mm-hmm. you know vegas had every opportunity to not let it get to that they put themselves in a position the san jose sharks battled from behind in a position so that a horrible call had the effect of, of really having this much of an impact so th- there's that um kings fans shouldn't be too concerned about what would happen if the sharks made you know got to pass this round as well you know i, I, I I have a feeling this is going to be a Kings fan base. It'll be rooting for probably Carolina in this round. Yeah, (laughs) Um, let's uh, let's tip our caps to the uh, 1967 expansion brethren, St. Louis Blues, uh, who have never won before. And let's face it. I mean, there are some, you know, there's some residue of a rivalry that was very intense in this past decade. And obviously that they had the playoff history in the late 1990s, too. And that, um, you know, was controversial at one point. But, um, you know. What's wrong, with the what's wrong with the St. Louis Blues winning a Stanley Cup? I mean, that would be fantastic. We've been in that room so many times. There are players that have come and gone from that team that I cannot speak highly enough of that I think are excellent character type people. I would like to see someone like Alex Steen win a Stanley Cup. I think he's a wonderful spark plug type player that I've always had a good fondness for. Um, you know, you don't have too much that you can say against a lot of the players they, that play for them in that team there. I mean, guys like Steve Ott are gone. And some of the more kind of emotional figures from the playoff series there. So um I guess I I I don't know. I don't mean to advocate for one team or the other. I guess I am here, but you know, consider the <laughs> Blueskicks fans.
1: Well, you know, two, two years ago, three years ago, I would have I would have viewed this matchup as, you know, the the a terrible decision, right? Who do you pull for? But but the moves that the St. Louis Blues made in the offseason a year ago, um, I really liked them, and I wasn't sure – this is not new to anybody who listens to the podcast. I wasn't sure if they had gotten really good or just sort of doubled down on who they were. Um, and so when they started out poorly, I sort of thought, well, that's, you know, typical blues. I guess I was wrong. Um, but then they rebounded, and I'm certainly not claiming I saw that coming or thought it would happen. Um no, I, I, I kind of like see them
0: see now. <laughs> man, that's just insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I've am sure you've seen the the clips of him a, after big wins, he doesn't throw his hands up and see, you know, he just slowly skates out of the crease. That's the big running gag. Um it's like
0: Kings when they used to celebrate goals the way that yeah, Jeff – you know. <laughs> exactly. Hands pumper nickel, you know, would, yeah. would celebrate a goal. I like that. Yeah. Um, and I want to say something too building off of that cuz Ryan O'Reilly also got like the um, you know, deservedly for doing something. Yeah. You know, against the public kind of, you know, safety barrier understanding. He drove um, <laughs> his
1: truck into a donut shop. Yeah,
0: he did, he did <laughs> something really bad. But he is somebody that if you go back and talk to anybody that, that really knows him, um, you know, his family w- took in foster children mm-hmm. and has always been a very service minded family. Um, and those who know him very well, you know, speak, Glowingly about his character yeah. and the way that he was raised, and he was somebody also that when the L.A. Kings took Kyle Clifford uh, very early in the second round in 2009, uh, another player uh, very well raised and with excellent character, um, that was another player that they were looking at, and, and he was another player that they were considering. Um, I don't know how how strong um, and, and legitimate in the chance of landing him was. Um, but around the time of uh, Milan Lucic, and, and and while that was happening and moving fast, um, they they were also keeping some tabs there on Ryan Ryan O'Reilly. Um, but uh, but but like to see him. He's always been somebody that I've appreciated his two way play. Um, you know, and again again, there's no Steve Ott, there's no um, you know, there's no more Ryan Reeves on St Louis, and and that uh, you know energy, the CPR line as they used to call them. So, <laughs> but
1: the, the, I mean, I, you mentioned Alexander Steen. I'm quite fond of Tyler Bozak. Who I thought always got a raw deal in Toronto because he's not, you know, because he's Tyler Bozak. He's not (laughs) a Hall of Fame guy, but you need, no, you need guys like Tyler Bozak. So I'm, I'm, it's been 20 years since the store incident. I think I finally laid my St. Louis demons to rest. (laughs) Um, I think they're they're a fun story.
0: Yeah. So we'll see. I I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, the sexy St. Louis Blues, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to, you know, they don't move the noodle or anything like that, but it would be it's an interesting story. And it's always fun to see a team win for the first time. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I don't think I speak for you, Jesse, but, you know, to see Washington and to see uh, the smiles on Ovechkin's face, I, I know I'm digging up a sore subject here. Though. So,
1: <laughs> well, no, that's, I, I've got my no new happy, happy people rule. <laughs> <face, too. laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, look, I mean. The Binnington story is great. All the vets we mentioned, it would be the first time that they won it, and uh, and the other sort of reason I've got in my back pocket is everything I've heard is people, you know, in the in the hockey media talking about how St. Louis doesn't play. <clears throat> excuse me, St. Louis doesn't play the quote unquote modern NHL game. Um, you no, know,
0: I think they they went through a very serious transition. I actually, if we go back and maybe we'll, I'll tomorrow I'll, I'll link. Um, um, the interview I actually had with Alex Steen. But the, the Blues were probably a year before the Kings and Ducks and kind of making that transition to that uh, that more speed and skill based team. Uh, you see it in their drafting and the types of guys that they brought in and, and the types of guys that, um, you know, obviously high draft picks and guys that have come over, guys like Robbie Fabry, Robert Thomas are are. are, are Different types of player and the roster makeup is different now than when these two teams were in that rock and sock and playoff series where we were all getting bruises just from watching them in 2013. <laughs> um, so, uh, and though I did say that Steve Ott is no longer on that team, I should mention that he is an uh, assistant coach with the St. Louis Blues on this well, there team. You go. It's behind the bench, so that'll um, be an interesting, compelling series to watch. I, I mean, that's that that'll be good hockey. Both 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 coasts good hockey here coming up.
1: Can you root against the team's coaching staff but still root for the team? Is that? Is um,
0: that... <laughs> you know, I I did in junior hockey a little bit, but you know, there's, <laughs> there's well, you get it gets emotional and people that you're very close with when you're so you know integrated into a front office where you're literally you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: part of decision making type of things. You get you get frustrated when perhaps there's a team that might be skirting the rules a little bit, but that's all I'm going to get into. Uh, with that discussion, that's a whole
1: other. <laughs> that's all right. We're we're well into the plan or into the podcast. We still haven't really talked about the Kings, so let's talk about the Kings. Um, I'm not the first person to notice this, but in Todd McClellan's introductory press conference and in subsequent uh, releases from the team, the word "plan" has been used extensively. Uh, lots of references to the plan. Lots of talk about how there is a plan. Plan, 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 but we haven't actually heard, other than, you know, hold on to draft picks and and build the the asset covered, um, we haven't really heard what the plan is. So, John, what's the plan?
0: I'll I'll try to – I mean, first of all, there's a plan and then you have to execute said plan. (laughs) Right. Uh, But I guess kind of the core parts of the plan is that, you know, broadly the Kings want to get younger, they want to get faster, they want to get more skilled. Um, this transition had already started in that they are looking at and ranking higher on their draft list and drafting players um, and signing players that are uh, faster, that are more skilled, um, that all players that they're looking at right now, if they're going to sign or if they're going to draft a player, they have to hurt, hit like a, a four on a one to five scale of, of how well they can skate. Um, you know, I don't, that might be a little bit malleable considering, you know, if you get, you know, in a first round pick, if there might not be as, as elite of a skater, but he's the best person available, I don't want to get too carried away, but, but that's something they want to do. They want to be able to go out. They want to outscore their opponents. They want to play an attractive style of hockey. They believe that in the modern game and the evolution of the game. The physical, heavy style, dominating, suffocating possession is not something over 82 games in the regular season that is going to lead to success. Editorializing for a second, my opinion, I think it's still something that helps in the playoffs. And, you know, look at Washington. They're a physical team. Um, Boston's very physical team. San Jose, a physical team that's also plays a lot of what we're talking about right here, too. Um, So it's about creating that new identity in the way that they play. Um, They want to continue to develop and build on the growth of those players and and fill openings um, that are being vacated by players with term and experience in large contracts. And this is where the hard part is going to come in. Part of this plan involves, um, you know, separating themselves from those very large contracts in which the value uh, is not necessarily there anymore. Um, You know, we had, um, I guess... Understood. Back at the trade deadline, that the the market for players, and of course, you know, we're talking about guys like you know, Jonathan Quick and Jeff Carter, um, players that don't have that trade protection, but still have you know three or four years left on their contract. Um, there wasn't a market for them at all in in February or in January, um, and it's still very unclear whether there is one or not. And, and don't get your hopes up that all of a sudden there is going to be a a uh, materializing market for a pair of players that had really down years for this Kings team. It's not to say uh, that they can't get back there. They can't do it again, but their value is at the lowest point. And there are questions having spoken with scouts and figures, uh, you know, other teams and other reporters uh, you know, around the league, um, you know, what the, what the Kings have left in, in, in certain players like that, that, that have that injury history coming off a rough year, well into their thirties that are on those lucrative contracts. Um, so, they want to be able to bring their commitments, salary commitments down and get younger. But that's something that's going to be very, very difficult to do.
1: Yeah, when Dean Lombardi took over and there was all sorts of talk about rebuilding the franchise and that was the sort of word du jour, um, I would push back on it and say this isn't a rebuild. This is a build, right? They had brought in Dustin Brown in 2003. They had gotten Kopitar in 2005. And I think yeah, what Quick were they well. rebuilding? No, They, they re- never won. Right. They were building a franchise. And it was and it was more than just the players. Right. It was, you know, bringing in a new scouting staff and a new coaching staff and creating, you know, a new identity and yada, yada, yada.
0: That, that What you're saying is very, very important. And, and what you're describing is organizational structure. Right. And, and how that all combines to build a successful culture within the organization, because that's something that really needs help. And, and we've you know, Josh Cooper really articulately was the last person to write about this and it's something that we've written all year long um is that there has been a noticeable kind of um deflation of what had been just such a profound i mean you go back to the things that were written when the kings came back from you know three nothing deficit to beat san jose and that they were friends they weren't co-workers right the march of the cockroaches best room anybody had ever seen etc (laughs) etc that that was something and again that was something that todd mcclellan referenced um, that this wasn't a team that went out there and outskilled. I'm paraphrasing, or you know, you know, outskilled their opponents. You know, they, they outbattled, they outcompeted, they were, they had that internal chemistry, that constitution, and that collective spine together. Uh, and that's something that that is that, that 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 they have to get back towards creating. I mean, it's it's hard to recreate. This is a new group. This is an older group. They have one. They're trying to again incorporate some younger players in. So. Um, You know, this is this is a major challenge when you have players that were wearing letters last year where there have been questions about, you know, their leadership and you have questions about the culture of the team. So, you know, again, this is a a, when you talk about the plan, I hear people talking about Artemi Panarin and all this. (laughs) How old is Artemi Panarin going to be before the Kings would be like really in a position to best use him? Don't expect the Kings to go out and get Artemi Panarin. They have several spots that they want to fill one of which is a 2c um one of which are forwards that can play alongside on jay kopitar as well they want to get a number two defenseman that's not going to say that's going to be again a laser focus keyed in on those particular slots but you know that those are priorities those are where they see that they will be able to try and go out and and, and be able to pick up players that can fill those spots um but to think that you know uh, Artemi Panarin ain't going to be in his 20s when when the L.A. Kings view themselves as as ripe for, you know, emerging past this stage and back towards contender status. We're at the early stages of this. So
1: this is why I referenced the Lombardi, uh, you know, structuring of the franchise, because we've got we've got Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, Tyler DeFoli, Trevor Lewis, Kyle Clifford, uh, Drew Doughty, Alec Martinez, Derek. Well, was Forbert? He wasn't here in 14. Um, and Jonathan Quick left over from the last cup win. And people can point to that being five years ago and talk about age all they want. But I don't think there's anybody suggesting that Drew Doughty is over the hill or not a productive player. I don't think there's anybody suggesting that um, Trevor Lewis or Kyle Clifford have stopped being effective role players. So, I mean... I think there are people – hey, I think the question is
0: out on Trevor Lewis right now. I think he's a player that when you look at this salary structure, you look at a team, you look at players who are going to be UFAs a year from now, and they have to cut down that number. I think Trevor Lewis is absolutely a player right now who is um, a a threat of having his name at least kind of floated about, whether by other teams, whether by the Kings, but but the Kings – Again, this isn't a team that has to bring down their salary cap right now, but they do have to be mindful of all the UFAs and RFAs that they're going to have one year from now.
1: But but who out there, or I shouldn't say out there, who within the organization already is going to do as effective a job as Trevor Lewis is, even if they make league minimum, you're still only saving 1.3 in change off the cap for a team that, as you mentioned, isn't going to have a bunch of cap concerns moving forward. Hey. You know what? You can't really compare them yet because he doesn't have the same
0: leadership. And he is, you know, so far from the kind of total, you know, intangible package that Trevor Lewis has. But if you're looking for somebody that just has the kind of like on ice, like their skill sets are similar. Austin Wagner, that's the type of player that he's eventually going to be. He's not going to be someone who's going to play center in the NHL, you know, as as Lewis has at at times in his career. Um, But you need those And again, this is a a reason why Lewis would be valuable, because on your third and fourth lines in this modern NHL, you have to have guys that can skate. You can't have guys that can be slow, even on your fourth line right now. And I think a perfect example of this, not the best fourth line in hockey, but maybe the second or third best fourth line in hockey, belongs to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, And and that is a perfect modern fourth line uh, of guys that can hit check it's like the speed checking kings lines of uh, of the uh, early 1990s when the energy line <laughs> yeah you know, these the speed energy line it would have been Pat uh-huh. konicker and uh, and those oh those i thought <laughs> i got
1: my things. 90s uh, era's confused i like, thought you were talking about like jeff giuliano and uh, and Mike
0: donnelly right
1: right right anyway. <laughs> all right so that's the plan let's talk about some of the new faces coming in we've been hearing a lot about nikolai Prokorkin finally coming over um and dominic uh, kubalik what do we know about these two guys
0: well kubalik was a guy who was traded to uh, chicago right sorry dominic yeah 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 was, was uh, you know guy, they, they've always kind of been lumped together um and i'll get to that in a second just how they're a, a little bit kind of different cases but both played at the olympics uh and, and have that national team experience nikolai Prokorkin, point a game this year uh 41 points in 41 games and it should be said um and he doesn't profile as a as a point scorer is a regular offensive producer uh, in the NHL, but it is not easy to score in the KHL. You look at some of these numbers here. He was one of only five players in the entire league that averaged a point per game. Um, there were 11 goaltenders with a save percentage of 930 or better. And his goalie, Igor Shostyorkin, who looks like he's, uh, he's joining the New York Rangers organization, 111 goals against average, 953 save percentage. The big rank in the KHL is is where offense goes to die. So keep that in mind. And then on the other hand, you see some of the other players that are point game or just around that in the KHL. And these are not NHL stars. You have, you know, Nigel Dawes, who was a good junior player and and didn't latch on in the NHL. Brian O'Neill was somebody that was right behind, um, you know, in terms of points per game and points uh, accrued near near per um, but I will say that having watched and called all but one of the Olympic athletes from Russia's game at the Olympics last year, Prokorkin was a player that I was very impressed with. He wasn't on the same like wavelength as the guys like Vladislav Gavrikov, who just made his debut in the playoffs with Columbus or Nikita Gusev, who has the opportunity to be a really high skill guy and great playmaker for Vegas. Um, and probably the best of all the players that that where he fits into the NHL, um, I think there is a if, if he commits, he's going to be a, a Tarasenko type player is Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. Um, those players were kind of on a different wavelength. Slava Voinov was also part of that group. And, and you know, um, uh, uh, of course, Ilya Kovalchuk as well. Um, but a little bit below that, uh, Prokorkin was one of those players that was an excellent role player for, uh, OAR at the Olympics. And though his only two goals came against the United States, uh, in a game that, uh, Kovalchuk also scored twice, he was very effective down low, um, below the hash marks along the boards. And this is also a player that, that has a pretty good degree of skill and can skate fairly well as well. Um, so this is a, again, a third, fourth line player with some skill, uh, but is known as a big body who goes to the net 6'2", six, 6'3", six, has a nasty streak. He's still somebody that is very good at winning pucks back and winning puck battles. Um, so I, I was trying to think of the player that, like, I would think of maybe as a comparable in the National Hockey League. And I'm going back to that Vegas fourth line. Thomas Nosek uh, is a player that I think plays a very effective game and, and could play up probably on a, a lot of teams, good teams, third lines as well, maybe even higher than that. Um, but I, I think he's a similar type of a player, player that can play winger, center. Um, but again, you don't know what you have uh, uh, until he's here. I, I don't know about his confidence, about his makeup. I just know that, you know, that, that he's spoken highly of by those who have seen him and have had relationships with him. Um, and, um, you know, speaking with, you know, Michael fuda about him, the LA Kings assistant general manager, you know, uh, you know he, he was sat out for some reason right after the Deutschland cup when he came back after playing for the, um, you know, the, the, the. Russian national team, but but when he returned and got back back in uh, again, there were no drop-offs in his game. Um, he had given the Kings word that he wasn't going to re-sign with SKA this off-season, uh, and so he, he, he's committed. Um, you know, I think at this point, and we'll have so much more up just uh, you know from around the organization, just on on who he is again, uh, filling in a lot of the blanks here that I'm leaving. Um, but is is somebody that we're expecting? Uh, sooner rather than later, to uh, read of the announcement. Uh, as of late last week, uh, it wasn't uh, imminent, but it's coming fairly soon. So uh, a good role-player type guy, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see him back and how his game and, and again, the kind of uh, detail-oriented, physical puck battle-winning aspects of his game uh, translate over to the NHL.
1: Do we care that he'll turn 26 in September?
0: Uh, at this point, um the Kings need whoever can help them win a hockey game. And they need, again, guys that give him a little bit of that identity. And I think he's somebody that helps provide some of that identity that they're going for and that he is a good skater, but he is also someone um, who battles, who, who, who fights, who goes hard to the net. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, this isn't, you know, they're not getting a Kirill off. They're getting a guy that's going to be, you know, a third or fourth liner.
1: I, um, I only ask because I, listen, I push back on the fan base is anointing anybody a savior type player but particularly a guy who as i said will be turning 26 and has never played a game in the nhl it's not that i'm not thrilled to have him in the lineup and and i and i wouldn't you know be welcome anyone who can help the team win a game but i see all this talk about oh finally we've got prokorkin now we'll have a line of kovalchuk Prokorkin and something and they'll take fire and i'm like so i'm glad to hear you say like it's, role player you know, identity guy
0: you know we're writing about Johnny Brzezinski. I mean we were on like Brzezinski yeah. watch when he was coming back and you know it's late in the season and found myself writing about it like every day or every other, every other day and somebody's like what what is he the next Connor McDavid
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yes yes he is.
1: <laughs> why not
0: why right. uh, I know I see I see what you're saying um you know he's 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 somebody whose game should translate to the NHL he looks like he should be able to play the North American style of course you know hey I'll eat it if it if it if it doesn't happen or if it doesn't work out. But, um, you know, it's an interesting case study because, again, we, we always kind of everyone always kind of grouped him with uh, Dominic Kubalik, who was another player who never seemed to um, from the outside commit to the L.A. Kings or their style. Um, when you talk internally with the Kings, um, they say that they were not prepared to offer Kubelik uh, an entry-level contract. I know he had been on the uh, depth board at the State of the Franchise in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, They also said, the Kings, that uh, because of a mix-up, that his uh, his Europe-based agent uh, did not... uh, I believe that his rights with the Kings would have gone on indefinitely, that they owned them indefinitely, and that the Kings would have been able to surrender them earlier... Had paperwork been submitted in time, so there had been an opportunity for, on the player's end um, to have become an NHL free agent faster. And as it turns out, the Kings um, ended up uh, uh, trading his rights to the Colorado, or excuse me, to the Chicago Blackhawks. So there's a good chance we'll we'll be able to see what he looks like perhaps this year. Um, but he was a player that uh, a good goal scorer in European leagues, especially uh, um, in Switzerland. But I didn't see the same kind of uh, ability willingness to win battles around the net uh and succeed in the hardest spaces as i did with procorkin so that's that's his story
1: well I, i'm on board with any player that makes the team better so hopefully that's percorkin
0: it makes a team more interesting to watch yeah and,
1: uh, well the better more interesting whatever it was, potato it was potato <laughs> Um, I want to backtrack a little bit to something you referenced earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do another uh, listing of names, and then you can jump in and tell me where I may or may not be wrong. Um, We always say on this podcast that happiness is measured by expectations, and so I want to try and get a gauge for what our expectations should be come training camp. You know, whatever happens in training camp will happen, but I'm looking at the roster, and I see Kopitar and Brown, I don't think they ought to get rid of, I don't think they want to get rid of. Um, Tyler Toffoli, everything I'm led to believe is that they expect him to have a rebound season. You referenced Trevor Lewis earlier. Kyle Clifford is, you know, Kyle Clifford. I don't anticipate him going anywhere. I would fully expect them to qualify or or offer better deals to Ayafalo and Kempe. I've heard that they're thinking about bringing Leipzig back. You referenced how important you think Austin Wagner will be to the future. Carl Grunstrom is obviously a valuable addition. Blake Lazat may play in Ontario. We don't know. You've got Drew Doughty, Alec Martinez, and Derek Forbert, who I assume will be back Uh, on the blue line. Matt Roy and Sean Walker made names for themselves. Paul Ledoux has one more year left at a relatively low number, and uh, we'll see with Curtis McDermott. And obviously Jack Campbell and Cal Peterson are high-value assets. So the question then becomes, if we're talking about bringing in all these new faces and if we're talking about restructuring the team or, or refreshing, where are the roster spots going to come from? Because Kovalchuk, Carter, uh, Jonathan Quick, maybe Dion Phaneuf, maybe Alec Martinez, maybe a guy like Trevor Lewis, as you mentioned, or even Tyler Defoley Some of these guys have to move in order to give roster spots to up and coming players. But I think, it's going to be far more difficult to move a lot of these guys than people are thinking. That's um, exactly true. That is true. So, right. so what are we? What are our expectations as far as off-season moves for the LA Kings? So,
0: first of all, let's just also say that a lot of those top prospects, you know, Rasmus Kupari is is, is does not quite appear ready to be making the LA King's roster. Um, Gabe Velarde, you don't even know what you have in him right now. So I, I put those guys off to the side. Okay. Um, guys coming up from the AHL, I mean, Mike Lamadio will contend for a, a regular spot. He's only 22 years old. Jared Anderson-Dolan will be 20. He'll have an opportunity to compete for a spot. But again, don't be surprised to see him start the year in Ontario unless he really goes out of his way and has a tremendous camp. Um, you know, Matt Luff, the team would like to see him make this camp. Uh, make make the team out of camp. But um, a, as I wrote last week, this is a team um, that re- I'm projecting Carter quick to be on this team come training camp. I also think there's a good chance that the Kings end up buying out Dion Phaneuf. Um, so there are going to be spots to earn on defense. And and again, sharing you know what, what I said earlier, what the team views as areas in which they'd like to improve. They want wingers alongside on Jay Kopitar. Um, they acknowledge obviously that, that players like Alex, follow has been a, a good presence next to him. He goes in, he forechecks, he wins and retrieves pucks and gets them into high danger areas. He's been useful. Um, but I think they see him more as a stopgap option alongside Kopitar. If that's what the team believes. I believe that he's somebody that has found a home and that, that has been useful there, but there is still certainly opportunity to provide additional production there. Um, you know, Dustin Brown has had very good seasons in the last two alongside Kopitar. But again, I think they might view him as somebody that, you know, if, if you're just laying out lines one, two, three, four, not necessarily a first line right wing. And again, this is once they get back towards, you know, I- into contending, they want to have those types of players alongside Kopitar. First line left wing, first line right wing. Um, I, I think you're seeing someone like Jeff Carter potentially move back to right wing, um, which is where the idea of that second line center opening up is um, down in the defense. Uh, obviously, you know, Derek Forbert is not a number two defenseman. He plays with Drew Dowdy and, uh, but he's not a number two. This is a guy who's probably a number four or number five type defenseman. Maybe that's being a little bit hard, but he's somebody who plays about 20 minutes. Um, is good at using his stick and disrupting plays while shorthanded and against rushes and is still somebody Perhaps, and maybe that's being a little bit generous, is somebody that in this new game where there is more skill, where there is less reliance on brute physicality and the punishing Matt Greens don't go near into his office, um, while that still does exist, players that have a good stick and players that can move their feet and defend against speed and skill, there's going to be an additional need for them. Um, So I still think that he fits one of those types of a role. Um beyond that, um, you know, guys like Sean Walker, Curtis McDermott, you know, Matt Roy are still gonna have to earn roles on this team next year, but they're also gonna go out and target players with experience. Guys that are those number two type defensemen that they don't have since that since they traded Jake Musk. So um th- these are among the positions that the team has identified. Um again, the plan is to divorce themselves from some of the you know, weightiest and most difficult contracts. And the degree to which they are able to do so, to answer your question, Jesse, I guess, is is the degree to which they'll they'll be able to insert themselves into the ability to go and and improve those positions that need improving.
1: It just sounds to me like what we're realistically looking at is maybe four roster spots up for grabs at training camp, and of those four spots, maybe I think it's more than that. Really,
0: more than that. Um, because again, because guys like this, I you know Austin Wagner has to go out and earn a spot. Matt Luff has to go out and earn a spot. Um, but there who's are who's players. a
1: candidate to steal Austin Wagner's spot, though? I mean, he had a real good season last year. Somebody
0: that is younger, somebody like Matt Luff, uh, perhaps somebody that has put in a good summer in Ontario. Maybe Rasmus Kupari is. Maybe Sheldon Rempel is. Maybe Brad Morrison is. Maybe Michael Amadio is. You know, these are players. This was a player, first of all, in Austin Wagner, that was not expected to make the team for another two years um, and made the team because there were injuries at the time and because he was a stopgap solution. Um, as it turns out, he ended up having a very good first year. That doesn't mean that he's going to replicate that in his second year. And also the Kings internally still see him as a player that is going to be a third or fourth liner in his career and probably still a fourth liner next year. Um So I would disagree with saying that he has a roster spot locked up. You know, when you're 22 years old, you have to go out and earn those types of spots. Um, And if he does what he did this past year, he's got nothing to worry about because he was a good, effective player and uh, showed that he was closer to growing into a wider role than he was to retreating into a lack of a roster spot.
1: I'm surprised to hear you mention Brad Morrison's name. I guess I had sort of assumed that he was an Ontario rain depth pickup. But do you think he has a, I mean, is he going to be given a, a, as, as much? I mean, obviously he'd be given as much of a chance as any, but I mean, what's, what, what is the ceiling on Brad Morrison?
0: Sometimes you're not always able to project which players between their first and second years pros ha- have that jump in their game or had those great summers. Um, but he was a player that because of a change in his approach and his lifestyle and his health, uh, allowed him both personally and professionally um, to put his best foot forward. and when that happened, that's where you saw the spike in his production in his 20 year old overage season uh, in the Western Hockey League. Um, and he's also a player with a very good account of himself with with relatives uh, who are coaches, assistant coaches in the NHL um, and those who have you know, allowed him to play with, with good structure and have given him some, some good, his own good intangibles in his career. But, you know, I just used him as an example because uh, again, you know, there are going to be players that, you know, maybe, you know, you weren't expecting player A player B um, you know, like just as we weren't expecting Austin Wagner to come and contend for not necessarily to contend, but to win a roster spot. Mm -hmm. I I remember, you know, there were, we were answering questions on the site last year, uh, you know, and, you know, Who, you know, I was saying, hypothetically, what if Asimont makes a team? What if Austin Wagner makes a team? Every year, you know, there are those types of players, you know, just as Kyle Clifford as a 19-year-old. I don't think very many people had pegged Kyle Clifford as someone that was going to go out and punch his way to a roster spot (laughs) back in 2010. So those those surprises do happen.
1: Yeah, perfect way of putting it. Um, This year, I was really excited to watch the rain because I thought, okay, they're going to have all these 20 to 23-year-olds. Especially on the blue line and up in the forward ranks, and then, as we know, you know there were injuries and roster movements on the Kings that sort of derailed the uh, rain season as well. But, but with all of the extra draft picks that the Kings have acquired over the last two years, it it sounds like Ontario should be the season. It sounds like this rain season is going to be a lot closer to what I expected last season to be.
0: Yeah, and that depends on, on on what goes on with the big club and and who makes the big club and whether somebody like. You know, Paul Ledoux, who again is going to have to go out and earn a spot on that parent club, whether he, you know, is a player who ultimately has to go through waivers or something like that. So, you know, years ago, you didn't know that Peter Budai was going to have such an, you know, astounding influence and impact on the reign because there was a thought maybe he could get claimed, uh, you know, when, when he didn't make the game. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is too early right now. Are they going to have Curtis McDermott? Are they going to have someone like Sean Walker? How many players are the LA Kings going to sign to fill out their defense? How many veterans are they going to sign up front to compete for spots? Um, so there, those questions still have to be answered. Um, but you know, when you look at players like Mikey Anderson, uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, as of today would probably be a, a very good bet to start the season there. Uh, Daniel Brickley, uh, should probably be back. Kale Clegg, I would expect to be back as well. And then you saw the development by guys like Austin Strand. Chaz Redekop had a pretty good uh, late season push as well. Will Jacob Muverara be back um, and, you know, after he uh, had won a, a championship with Verlunda uh, in the SHL and is somebody that, that improved his conditioning this year and is coming back to the Kings? If he does, it, there's a little bit of a you know, I know Verlunda wants him back, but it, it's whether they, the Kings want him in Ontario – um, and he's somebody that will come back uh, potentially a, a better player. So Sean Dersey is going to be somebody that you would want to see out there in, in in Ontario as well. So, yeah, absolutely. If you have a blue line that has Sean Dersey, Cale Clegg um, and Daniel Brickley uh, and those types of players, you know, potentially Marcus Phillips, you um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Anderson, these, these, yeah, these Mike Anderson, yeah. interesting teams, this is going to be an interesting and compelling team to watch. Also keep in mind that it's not necessarily the teams are the best prospects, but you know, the, the, the age ranges and experience and, and how long they have certain players that were perhaps thought of as NHL players that year. So, um, it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see if they sign, you know, a, a player as well to, you know, your TJ Hensick, uh, organizational depth players and if the rain were to sign players to fill out, um, you, you know their their ranks up front. Well,
1: and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, Matt Molson's contract with the the Buffalo Sabers is finally up. So,
0: yeah, I, I haven't I haven't paid attention. I did read that article from from the Athletic on Molson, but I haven't kept tabs on him. But I know of of, of what a great presence that he has been, and the importance of players like he and Brett Sutter uh, and and others have been. So. Um, I, I, I want to get Zach Dooley back for him to share some of the, uh, the rain, uh, the rain train noise. But, um, I, I wouldn't think that this will be a team that next year, you know, when you get into the second half of the season, we'll need to get guys on, you know, on, uh, off of, you know, either ECHL rosters or on PTOs because of, of how many guys are either up with the Kings or injured or just not available. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we're going to wrap it up here, John, unless there's anything else you wanted to touch on.
0: No, this is all good, man. Thank you so
1: much, Jesse. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you somewhere between now and the draft. And uh, enjoy the third round, John.
0: My pleasure. You too, man. Thanks so much, Jesse.
1: Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.